hello and welcome back to the Thundersticks podcast. I'm your host Ben Kreider and today we're going to be talking all about the Oklahoma City Blue. They're on the home stretch of their regular season right now and the playoffs are right around the corner. They're in the playoff hunt but the ticket has not yet been punched. So I'm going to be talking about where they currently stand and how they can get into the playoffs but I also just want to break down the team because I have not talked that much about the blue this season. They've done a very excellent job. I've watched all the games. So want to give a bit of insights on there. And to wrap things up, I have a very special offer from my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook. So you do not want to miss out on that. But starting things out here, guys, I just want to preface this on the OKC blue in general. You know, this is a team that has been very impressive throughout the season. Obviously, last year, they were kind of in the media because they only played 15 games. You kind of had coverage every single day. It was on ESPN Plus the entire year. So, people were chatting about it. You had Omer Yurt 7 balling out. Moses Brown was dropping 20 points and 20 rebounds like it was clockwork. It was a very fun group. But this season, there hasn't been as many people talking or reporting on this team and for me personally I haven't been doing as many pods on it same goes with written form of content but I've been watching the games and this is still a very great group very entertaining for them they've had a lot of different members filter in and out of the lineup this year we saw Trey Mann JRE just a ton of people come in like for example their last game the Thunders all eight of their players played with the blue at some point this season so it kind of lets you know how just heavy this roster has been all year. They're taking people in and out. They got 20 plus players who have stepped on the floor uh, in OKC blue jersey. But right now they're kind of down to their like 10 man, 11 man unit. And they have two games to go and the playoffs are at stake for them. Now, originally the G League regular season was supposed to start in the beginning of January. It was going to be a 36 game season. But due to the COVID um, guidelines and everything in health and safety protocols at the NBA level, so many different hardship exceptions were being thrown around that you saw the league postponed for one week. So it's kind of scattered around the games played for everybody. For OKC, they have 35 games on the regular season and they just have two more games to go. Right now, they hold a 15-18 and 18 record. Nine and a half games away from the number one seeded Rio Grande Valley Vipers. That's the Rockets affiliates. And they are one game away from the six seeded Stockton Kings. And for the Blue, they are in a three-way tie for seventh place. This is not like the NBA playoffs where you're bringing eight or ten teams from the conference. You only take the top six. So OKC is on the outside looking in right now, and they are in the thick of it. There are 13 teams in the Western Conference for the G League. Like I said, top six make the cut. As of right now, five out of the six playoff seeds have been locked up, but only two teams out West have been eliminated. So right now, you're dealing with six teams fighting over the final playoff spot and as I mentioned with the blue they're not the only team just one game behind Stockton the hustle they are tied that's the Grizzlies affiliate and 
the Golden State Warriors affiliate, the Santa Cruz Warriors, are also one game behind. So there is a major deadlock there, and there's still, you know, a half game behind that. A two-way tie with the Iowa Wolves and the Austin Spurs. So this is very open for really everybody here. But for OKC, they have a path in order to make it to the G League playoffs. And it starts with what you have with the Stockton Kings. Now, sadly, the Stockton Kings won the tiebreaker against the Blue this season. I believe it was a 3-2 to two tiebreaker, and they won their last game probably a week ago. When you're breaking down the team, they're led by Quinn Cook, former NBA champion, and Sheldon Mack, who I remember like vaguely using on the old 2K games. Emmanuel Terry is there too. He was with the Blue for a little bit, I believe. Really athletic power forward. This is a type of guy that dominates at the G League level. Basically, if you are a springy power forward, you're going to yield some success. Terry's been a veteran in the G League and he has done very successful there. So they kind of have those three different players uh, out front, but lately they've kind of fallen out of graces. They're on a three game losing streak and at 15 and 16 on the year, they could fall out of the race. They also only have two more games remaining. They're going to play a game tomorrow against the Birmingham squadron. And then on Saturday, they finish the season against the Salt Lake City Stars. Plain and simple, if Stockton wins their next two games, they punch their ticket, but they have to win both to guarantee it. Let's start it out with their first game against the squadron. This is one that could be a tough contest. With Birmingham, they have already locked up a playoff seed, so you could say maybe they want to rest. I don't know, because right on their tail end, the Texas Legends are the fifth seed, Right now, the squadron of the fourth seed, and they're tied. It comes down to a tiebreaker, and Birmingham, they probably want to stay in that fourth spot because one and two in the West are pretty damn good. You don't want to face them, so they'll be looking to win here, and they do have a good two-headed monster here. They have Joe Young and Zylan Cheatham. Joe Young, I remember him back in college, Ended up taking out Oklahoma State in March Madness. I was distraught about it because, you know, that was my team growing up. Um, And then he moved on to play with the Indiana Pacers. Didn't really work out. And now he's back at the G League ranks. And for Zylan Cheatham, he actually played, or I guess he didn't play, but he was on the Thunder for about a day or two. He was involved in the trade that sent Steven Adams out to New Orleans. And in return, OKC got some draft equity, Kenrich Williams, and a bunch of throw-ins. One of the throw-ins was Zylan. He got waived. Now he's back under the Pelicans' wing in Birmingham, and he has been dominant. He's been posting a crap ton of double-doubles. I think this is a scary matchup for Manuel Terry. And with Joe Young, he's also been able to put down a lot of points. So you might put the edge on Birmingham for the first game. The second game, though, is not going to be as helpful for the OKC Blue. They are playing the Salt Lake City Stars. And Salt Lake City has one of the best scorers in the G League. They have Carson Edwards, used to play for Purdue, played with the Celtics for a little bit. He's been averaging 26.9 points per game. And It's actually a funny story. I went to one OKC Blue game this season. It was their second to last home game, and it was against Salt Lake City. 
Their head coach actually went up into the stands. He was talking, kind of a group conversation. He said that they literally called up Carson Edwards. He was sitting on his couch, and they offered him a deal. That's how they got him inked uh, to the team. But he has been a one-man show for them. He's been hitting shot after shot, second in points per game in the G League. I think Justin Anderson's the only man ahead of him right now. And he's not even in the Western Conference. So this is the best scorer out West. He can explode for 30, 40 points. The shots are always going to be there. But defensively, the Stars have struggled. They're the second worst defense in the league. And interiorly, they are not very strong. When OKC played them, it was just penetration after penetration. And it has been that way, I'd say, the last two years with Salt Lake. They don't have the necessary bigs. And even when... You had the blue playing them. Jalen Horde was the starting five, and it really didn't matter. They just don't have those quick-footed bigs to really, you know, stop you. And with a guy like Emmanuel Terry, I think that is an issue. And then obviously, Quinn Cook, he's been around the block for a while, and he's able to pick his spots well. So I think you kind of chalk this one up as a win for Stockton. A lot of this comes down to Thursday's game against Birmingham. But unless the Kings take both of them, it's not guaranteed. If it's a split, OKC still has a chance. You got to keep going though, because you got to look at the other guys in the tiebreaker. Three teams, like I mentioned, are one game behind Stockton. Santa Cruz and Memphis are the two teams currently. And Santa Cruz and Memphis actually both have the tiebreaker over OKC, but there is a sneaky edge that the Blue have that could trump them despite losing out on the tiebreaker. And I'm going to go into that in one second here, but first, I want to let you guys know about my good friends over at DraftKings Sportsbook and the special offer they have going on for you all. College basketball fans, join the action on the court during the biggest tournament of the year with DraftKings Sportsbook. Turn your team's biggest victory into your own big win. New customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. It's that simple. If they win, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still join the college hoops action with DraftKings Pools. Everyone can play free pools all March long for a shot at a share of over $250,000 in prizes. Simply join a pool and answer questions like who will make it to the next round and who will hit the most three-pointers. Then track your results. Here's what you have to do for the offer. Go ahead and download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any college hoops team to win and get $200 in free bets if they do. If they win, you win with promo code TBPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook. 21 plus age requirements, restrictions apply. See show notes for details. But kicking it back off with this tiebreaker going on with the Santa Cruz Warriors and the Memphis Hustle. As I talked about, Santa Cruz and Memphis at the surface level have the head-to-head advantage. It's really black and white here. Like, they have it. The thing is, 
This little week-long hiatus the league took goes right into the Blues' pocket. I talked about how they play 35 games on the regular season. For Santa Cruz, they only have one game on tap. In all, they only play 32 games on the regular season. And for the Memphis Hustle, they only play 34 games. So OKC trumps them both in the games played category. And as a result, the Blues' best possible outcome is going to be 17 and 18. As for Memphis, the best they could do would be 16 and 18. And Santa Cruz peaks at 15 and 17 on this season. Obviously, that's going to beat out both of them. For Memphis, their 16 and 18 record would be a .71 or .471, and OKC's best at 17 and 18 would be .486. So, it is a flawed system, but the G League has not updated the guidelines. They haven't covered this in a release. So right now, you base it off of that percentage. OKC beats out both Santa Cruz and Memphis if they win their next two games. But that's a big if, because OKC still has to get the job done to set themselves up. You really can't split here. Technically, there is a chance, but you basically need to sweep these series they have upcoming. And this is a back-to-back set starting tomorrow. They play Thursday and Friday in Iowa against the Iowa Wolves. And this team has playoff aspirations as well. The Wolves are 13-17 and 17 on the season. They're only a half a game behind the blue right now. And two wins for them, because of all the tiebreakers they've accumulated, could put them in into the playoffs so they're going to be going at 100% and the blue are also going to be going at 100% basically this is like a stretch of playing games you got to win both of them though if it's a split you kind of kill each other out here just breaking down Iowa's group though this is a tough team now they only met one time this regular season and Iowa basically demolished them they had Nathan Knight, he's a center. He dropped 33 points and 12 rebounds. They had Leandro Balmoro. He had 23 points. And Melvin Frazier Jr. also got into the mix in that game as well. And if you've been following the Blue for the last two seasons, you'll probably remember Melvin Frazier Jr.'s name. I had a podcast probably during the start of this series where, you know, they signed Melvin to an Exhibit 10. At the time, it seemed like it was a training camp offer and he had a shot. I thought that he could actually make it to that 15-man roster. This is obviously two years ago where your darlings from the preseason were Roby and Jackson. And and Frank Jackson didn't even make the freaking team, you know? But at the time, I thought he was in. I was really high on him. I still am. I think his frame at 6'6 with a 7'2 wingspan is like perfect for a wing. And his defensive abilities atop his you know ever-growing offensive game he's really nice around the basket off gathers and such and his catch and shoot three has come along I like him as a prospect now he's with Iowa so he has the insider information and you know with Nathan Knight still on the team right now it could get pretty scary if he's activated to play the one silver lining for this game 
is when Iowa and OKC suited up last time, OKC straight up did not have a center. This is right after DJ Wilson. Uh, I think he returned, but he was injured uh, after his stint with the Raptors. And they didn't have any signees. I think they had Talib Zana that they picked up, but he wasn't activated for this one. Their starting five was Jalen Horde. And Jalen Horde is not a center. You know, he played a good amount to close the Thunder season last year, and he was strictly playing the four spot. You know, you would play him alongside Moses Brown, maybe Tony Bradley if he was out there. You just kind of stick him in the corner or used him as a backdoor guy. Never in a million years would you play him as a straight up post player, but they had to do it because of really necessity in that game. And Knight, he's kind of a agile center, you know, so he was going right to the post, basically eating him alive. I forgot what the exact statistic was, but I think he shot like 13 of 15 from the floor. He was automatic and there was no shutting him down. Out of those 33 points, I would bet probably 30 of them came off of just layups or free throws that resulted in hacks when he was around the basket. So he was a straight out nightmare to deal with. They do have a center now though. They just signed to Quan Lake uh, probably as of like two weeks ago. He's a six foot 10 center, played at Arizona State, used to be teammates with Lou Dort, and he's teammates again with Rob Edwards. And you know, he's pretty uh, jumpy as well. So I think that is a better matchup if Knight's playing. But OKC also has some additional heavy artillery. So if they sweep it against Iowa, they're going to be in the driver's seat because they beat out the tiebreakers, guys. Obviously, the two people half a game back are not going to catch up because OKC won out here. And in the Stockton Kings battle, they have a good chance. Now, the instant eliminator here is if Stockton wins both games. Birmingham is the hard one to kind of deal with. If they get over that hump, then it gets pretty damn scary, right? But if it is a split over the next two games, OKC yet again gets saved due to the fact they played 35 games. And once again, if there's a new release that comes out and says, you know, if there's a discrepancy in games, we are going to look at, you know, your tiebreaker head to head. OKC can't get in this route. They can't get in over Santa Cruz or Memphis either, but they didn't make a release. And I just don't see how they would make that split second decision right now. This is something they should have addressed in January, not in March. So I'm taking it at face value. If the Kings split their next two games and OKC wins out, they get that sixth spot and they get a play against the Valley Vipers who they eliminated in the Winter Showcase Cup back in December. This was a crazy game. Single elimination tournament where they fought back. The Vipers fought back from a 20-point deficit, took it to overtime, and the Blue were able to get the W. They ended up going to the final loss to the Delaware Blue Coats, of course, so they didn't get the cash prize, but that was such a great game. And this season... No one has been able to stop Rio Grande. They're 24-8 and on the season right now. They're the top scoring team in the G League. They have so many just versatile, like, small forwards that are very difficult to handle. And then they got Trevlin Queen as well, who's been averaging like 25 points per game. One good thing, Anthony Lamb, 
He's been one of their more consistent guys. He just got signed O'Toole, so maybe he gets a call up or something. But they're a difficult team to handle. OKC has to look at their next two games, though. It doesn't matter what a potential playoff scenario looks like because there's a task at hand. And after Friday's game, their season could be done. If they win out on both and Stockton wins their first game tomorrow, it's going to be a nail-biter because that game against the Salt Lake City Stars will be on Saturday, and that will be the ultimate deciding factor. But two things have to go right. OKC has to win out, and the Kings have to either lose both games or they need to split this series. That's the best way to do it. Technically, the Blue could split it, and if everybody else loses out, sure, they clinch a spot. But realistically, they got to go 2-0 and if they want anything to happen past Friday night. This has been one hell of a team, though. As I've said, like I've covered every game. I'd say I've watched probably over 50% of them this season, looked at some tape on some of the players, and I'm very impressed with what we've seen this year. Now, this is a completely different team from the bubble season. You don't have a Moses Brown, and you don't have an Omer Jert 7. Those guys were very special, and you're not going to find players like that in the G League very often. Definitely not two on the same team. DJ Wilson, he was very consistent around the basket. He's a different player, but he was kind of yielding similar results to those two. And, you know, they were kind of an inside-out team to begin the regular season. Uh, that's OKC, of course. Then he started getting called up to Toronto 10-day after 10-day, got his season-ending injury, and he's out of the cards. So they've had to adjust their play. And because of it, now they're looking a little bit more towards the three. And they're actually having to work defensively to pick up the wins right now there's 26 teams currently that are 28 excuse me that you're counting um in g league teams right now because mexico city's team and the ignite they aren't in the regular season everybody else is but here's how it works they're averaging 110.8 points per game right now that's 17th in the g league shooting 34.2 percent on threes that's 13th and that's better than what the Thunder are shooting. Points in the paint, they've still been attacking. They're ninth in that category at 54.1. Rebounding, they're seventh at 47.8. And on assists, they are 12th with 25.2. So they've really been just middle of the road as an offensive team. You can see a whole different skill set night in and night out because they've had so many new guys come in. They started the regular season running what is the Oklahoma City Thunder right now. So there's been adjustment. Lately, they've been working more on the interior. Jemias Ramsey and Xavier Simpson are the guys that come to mind. They've been penetrating at will, and they have been dominant. Obviously, you have some shooters that are also in the cards, but they're more of an inside team as of about two weeks ago. Turnovers, though. That has been a primary issue for the Blue. They've ranked in the bottom five of that category most of the season. They're averaging a tick over 17 per game right now. That's unacceptable, and it's going to be unacceptable against a team like Iowa. The bright side is the defense has been able to move them into victories. It's positioned them great throughout the year. They're the second best team in defensive rating this season, and they're fourth best 
in opponents' points per game. Opponents are only averaging 108.1 points. So, in the plus-minus, OKC's up by about two points right now. And in comparison to the rest of the league, that's like eighth or ninth place. So, they're doing a great job in terms of, you know, using the defense to really uplift what they have on the other side of the ball. When it comes to steals, they average a little bit over nine per game. They're ninth in the league in that category. And in points in the paint, they are number one. They're only averaging 47 points inside a night. That is big time. And it's even more impressive when you factor in this team had to deal without a center for about three weeks. They didn't have DJ. You had Olivier Sar get his call up in February, and you were kind of left stranded. They patched it up now with Lake, and now you got to get the job finished here. And if they're going to close out strong, look at some of these players to kind of lead the way. Number one on my list is Xavier Simpson. He's been here the last two seasons. He was more or less just like a playmaker last year. You didn't see much of him offensively, like trying to score. This year, he spread his wings, and he has dominated over the last month. Here's his averages in the last 10 games. He's posted 20.7 points per game, 6.6 rebounds, and 6.8 assists while averaging just 3.3 turnovers. So the assist to turnover ratio is above two right now, and he's shooting 43.2% on threes in this span and 88.2% at the line. I'll be the first to admit, Xavier Simpson has not been a three-level scorer at the G League level. He has been one hell of a passer. He's been the best passer on this team the last two seasons. I'd say last year when you had Ty Jerome as like a starting point guard, I trusted Xavier Simpson with the ball more than Jerome actually because he was a smarter passer. You didn't see a lot of craziness. And even this season with guys like Trey Mann in the mix, Vit Kredchi, Simpson's the most grounded in terms of making those passes. Now, are there some errors in his decision making? Of course, but he's pretty refined in that category. Scoring wise, he never really looked to shoot that much just because there were so many creators. Now he's become the creator he went viral about two weeks ago in that Salt Lake City game I went to because of the sky hook. He hit about four of them in the second half. Nobody could guard him, and nobody's been able to guard him off that move really the entire season. That's been his go-to. That makes him scary on the drive, and it leads to a lot of fouls when he actually elects to run into players because they're anticipating that hook, but then once he makes the move to drive inside, they're a little bit frazzled, they're not going up vertically, and it's leading to a foul shot. The one issue with Simpson, though, has been foul shooting just in general. It's not been the forte, and it's definitely not been the forte in the clutch. He's shooting 69% from the charity stripe this year. I talked about how he's been shooting 88% over the last 10, but, you know, down the wire, Simpson's obviously going to be someone you need to play. But with only one free throw on fouls outside of like the final two minutes and a half, you'd see a lot of just missed opportunities where he'd go up for one, shank it, and what do you know? 
end score, they lose by like one or two points. So it's a gump punch sometimes with him, but he's been able to kind of get back into the mix as a three-point shooter. He wasn't doing well to begin the season. He's shooting about 35% in all. And like I talked about, shooting 43% in the last 10, he has been a freaking star as of late. And if he stays at this level where he's damn near averaging a triple-double, they should be in good hands. Behind him, you have another guard in Jemias Ramsey. OKC traded for Jemias after being picked up off the waiver wire. The Birmingham squadron actually had him first, and they got Ramsey for the returning player rights of Chason Randall, who has not returned, by the way. He's making probably a pretty penny in New Zealand right now, so I don't know why you do that, but they got Ramsey, and he has been great. 20-year-old former number 40 overall pick by the Sacramento Kings just last season, and he has posted 17.8 points, 5.7 boards, and 3.1 assists over his last nine. Shot 35% from distance as well. With him, he's all about scoring the basketball. He wants to get his. He's really not (laughs) the type that's going to be kicking it out, at least not this season, but He's able to put down points, and he's able to do it in a hurry. He's coming off of two games, scoring 20 or more points. He had 21 against Sioux Falls, and against Stockton, where they lost, he led the team in scoring with 24 points, and he shot 5 of 9 from 3. Against Salt Lake City two weeks ago, he had 29 points, scoring 10 of 17. And let me tell you guys, his downhill ability is ridiculous. If you want to see good hard gathers, spin moves into layups, Darius Baisley is the guy, right? Like for the Thunder, you'll look at him and you'll respect his game. Go down to an OKC Blue game and watch Demias play. You will be surprised. He is so crafty around the basket and he has a nice step back to his game. He's a lethal three-level scorer who can drop 30 on any given night. He's only had two games where he hasn't posted double figures in a blue jersey this year came in as a mid-season acquisition and he's just easily been able to get subbed in and score for you he's been utilized as a six man he's still playing around 30 minutes a game though so he is that number two option if Xavier isn't feeling it from three put the ball in Ramsey's hands and hope that he's able to get some shots down right behind him Jalen Horde has been on a hot streak he's not a three-point shooter We know that when he was playing for the Thunder, he shot about like 20% on threes. He's just an inside force. So this is kind of your replacement for what you had in DJ Wilson, where, you know, if it's there off of a dump off pass, Horde's going to make the right move. He's going to get into the passer's rear view mirror, and he's going to be able to just dunk it down. Not much else to his game right now. He gets your rebounds. He gets your buckets. He's averaged 15.9 points and 9.9 rebounds over the last 10. So he has proved his worth in the stretch. Could be valuable against Iowa. Scotty Hobson's been doing wonders. He's averaged about 16 points over the last 10. And Rob Edwards has dropped about 15 points. With Rob, he's going to have his time dwindled because of Ramsey's new addition. They're still using him as that starter though. Very good on transition pull-up threes as a catch-and-shoot guy. He's still solid. 
inconsistent, I would say, sometimes with the shot. But if you're looking for a potential X factor to close these two and to really make a name for himself in the playoffs, you look at Rob Edwards. On ball, he's one of the best shot creators you will find in the G League. And he's not just been a three-point shooter this year. He's also tapped in around the basket. You will be surprised by his athletic ability. He has been a very fun player to watch over the last two seasons. Justin Jaworski, he's a name that I don't think I mentioned on the pod yet, but he is the team's sharpshooter. When we talk about this whole idea of four guards in the rotation, the blue has now solidified it. They have Xavier Simpson and Rob Edwards, and off the bench, there's Jemias Ramsey, and there's Justin Jaworski. He played four years at Lafayette, just came out of their program, and he was in the 50-40-90 club. He's damn near doing it this season with the blue. He's been shooting at a 40% clip this season on about five three-pointers a game. He's been averaging 9.2 points. He can drop 15 or 18 in about 20 minutes, and he can be that microwave scorer that doesn't really need the basketball all that much. This is a catch-and-shoot player who has a nice push shot to his game. That's about all you're getting. Defensively, he's been quality. This is a player where, you know, if it's down the wire and need a three ball, you're going to plug him in, and he might be the most consistent option that you will find. That kind of talks about, like, the main guys on this roster. Georgios Kalikzakis is a good defensive mind to play at the two or three Michael Benajay, he hasn't been in the mix that often lately, but he did have a very impressive game in the Winter Showcase Cup, so might want to factor that in. It's also March, and if you remember him from Syracuse, he was kind of hot stuff, so you could look at him. And then, obviously, Daquan Lake will have to field minutes at the five spot. Hasn't been much of a scorer, but all he really needs to do is get the rebound and keep the pace going for the Thunder. So they have their back-to-back set against Iowa tomorrow, and then on Friday, we'll see how this thing goes. There's going to be more content on the blue these next couple of days. I might have like some analysis on the players because I feel like I've done a bit of, of like an injustice to you all not covering them as much. I've been watching them a lot. I've been covering them on my Twitter every single game. So I guess there's that. Follow me on Twitter if you you have not. Uh, That's at Ben Kreider. But yeah, been a great group this year. Hopefully they extend it past 35 games. And if they win out both of their games, you might have a solid crack at it. I'll keep you all posted on this though. And I'll keep you guys posted on the Thunders game tonight. But other than that though, guys... That is going to do it for today's episode. I thank you all for listening, and I will talk to you all next time. See ya.